Well, good morning, everyone, once again. And um, before I start, let me say, my name's Jim Schaefer. I'm not Joel DeSalm. I'm not Earl Smith. So you get what you get. Sorry, but uh, this is it. But I've done this once or twice in my life. Um, Right now, we're going through uh, a series on the Psalms. Don, do you have that Psalm thing? You could put up. I should have asked her that before I got up here, but I didn't. God's song. And uh, Pastor Earl has been preaching on that. And today I'm going to take us through Psalm 51. Now the Psalms, uh, Earl's taught us different things. There are different kinds of Psalms. There are Psalms of lament, Psalms of thanksgiving, of praise. I don't remember all the other psalms. If Earl were here, he would test you on that. But he's not here. Um, But today, we're going to hear about the Psalm 51. And it's a psalm of lament. Um, Before I start, I just want to tell you a story I heard. Um, I'm not a preacher, but I am a professional salesman. So that means I talk for a living. So if I get to running a little long, let me know. But I heard a story about this guy. He got caught shoplifting. And uh, he went before the judge. The judge says, what did you shoplift? He got caught shoplifting a can of peaches. The judge says, how many peaches were in that can? The gentleman said, "Uh, there were five peaches in that can. So that's it, five days in jail. That's what you get. And in the next row, there's this lady just waving her hands. And the judge says, what do you want, ma'am? I'm, I'm, his, I'm his wife. Can I please add something before you carry out the sentence? He said, sure, what is it? He said, well, he, he stole a can of peas also. <laughs> In the Psalms, uh, I've read through the Bible a few times. And uh, I'm sure I'm like most of you. If you just read it from Genesis to Revelation, you get to about Leviticus, and it kind of gets slow. But if you can power through that, it's not bad. But my favorite times when I read through the Bible is when I read a part of the Old Testament, a part of the New Testament, and a psalm each day. And that really lifted my spirits, the psalms. In psalms, we read about these people in the Bible And they just seem like a character, not real, like they're uh, a robot or... It's just a story. But when we read Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, we see the joy that he has. We see the the anguish that he has. We see um, the times when he laments and he cries over different things that he's done. And he cries out to God, where's my help? The Lord is my shepherd. These are beautiful Psalms. And Psalms, I believe, are put there to show us as Christians how to react to different things. The Psalms can show us how to worship God. Many of our songs are based on Psalms. The Psalms can teach us how to act when things don't go so well, how to cry out to God. The Psalms can teach us also how to lament. So if you're like me, in your Christian walk, and you make mistakes sometimes, Psalms 51 was put there for us. It teaches us when we mess up, 
when we do something really bad or kind of bad, and we have that guilt, that oppression that just pushes down on us, how we can get out of that and how we can move forward with Lord, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others. Now, Psalm 51, can you pull that up? Is one of the only Psalms that tells us exactly what it's about. And it tells us exactly what happened. And if we read that, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, we've all heard this story, right? We kind of know it. But I'd like to read it out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'm just going to read part of it. But I think it really gets to the point, the first few verses. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out in battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers, and he took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. And she returned home to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Can you imagine what David must have felt? I can remember when I was in second grade, uh, all of our desks were like in a a U-shape around the teacher, and it was craft day, and we were having fun, and we're making something out of paper plates, and my buddy was a crust, and so I filled one up with Elmer's glue, and as soon as the teacher went by, I slung it at him. It didn't make it to my buddy. It went right on the back of my teacher's head. (laughs) True story. I still remember that. I still remember how I felt, how my heart just sank, because she turned around and said, who threw that? Have you ever been in that situation? David is in this situation. He's the king. And yet this woman, Bathsheba, sends word to him, I'm pregnant. Can you relate to that? And so then David decides, I'm going to cover this up. So he sends for Uriah to come back and uh, give him a report. He tells Uriah, hey, Uriah, you're here, man. Why don't you go home, be with your wife, enjoy life a little bit. You've been working hard for us out in the battlefield. Uriah's too good of a man. He won't do that. He said, how can I go do that? and enjoy my home and my wife when Israel is out fighting and the Ark of the Covenant is out fighting for the country, for God, for the kingdom. Uriah was too good of a man. So David comes up with a second plan. 
And he sends word to Joab, his commander-in-chief, and says, hey, put Uriah out on the front line. And when people are starting to come in, the enemy, pull back. Let Uriah die. And that's exactly what happened. So here we have David starts out with lust, then adultery, probably rape. Then he has all this deception in his mind, all this treachery. And he has this man, Uriah, who's a a good man, has him killed. It's murder. David, what are you thinking? What are you doing, David? Well, a lot of us in here have sin in our life. And we have sin, I don't know, from 30 years ago, from 10 years ago, from last night. And every day when we wake up, it plays over and over and over. Wow, man, I messed up. Wow, I did this wrong. But today, if we look at the scripture, we can be free of that. David became free of it. So, God sends a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan goes to confront the king. Who wants that job? Here's this mighty king, and God says to Nathan, go confront the king. So Nathan uses this parable. And he basically uses it to uh, have David actually accuse himself. He tells David the parable, and David... He takes a hook, line, and sinker. And he said, the guy who did this should die. And Nathan says, that man is you. For you killed Uriah, you took his wife, you committed adultery, and now you've had a child with her. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba's been taken. And part of uh, the penalty, the consequences of David's sin was the baby will die in seven days. And when we read chapter 12, Nathan says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, With a sword, you have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And David finally, in his confrontation, he can't take it any longer. The guilt's too strong. And he breaks. And in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Does that seem fair? Isn't that kind of outrageous? Here's this guy who's a murderer, a rapist, an adulterer. Uh, Uriah's dead. Bathsheba's been taken. She's been raped. The baby's going to die. And God says... It's been passed over. How can that be fair? 
Have you ever seen anything like that in this world? Where someone who's definitely guilty, who definitely deserves punishment, it just gets passed over. How can God be righteous in doing that? And that's a problem I have with this chapter, with this story. And maybe it's a problem you have. It was a problem that David had. God passes over. So Paul, in Romans 3, he kind of answers this problem. If you got your Bibles, turn to Romans 3. First, start at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. Same word there. He passed over the former sins. He passed over David's sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If this works, and if it works for David, it's going to work for you. It's going to work for me. It's going to work for all of us. Jesus became the propitiation. That means he became our sin, as it says in Scripture so that we can take on his righteousness. And this thing that we look back to, we're on this side of the cross, we know how it all worked. David, Abraham, all the prophets looked forward to it. It says that in Hebrew, they had faith. God looked at their faith in their hearts and he counted it as righteousness. There was a man who died in 1994. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Have you heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? This section over here probably never heard of Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer. He killed 17 men and boys. He basically dismembered them. He was a cannibal. He did lots and lots of evil things. But when he was in prison, he became a Christian. There was a pastor of a little uh, United Christ church who went to him, who had a Bible study with him, who baptized him in the jail. Does it seem right that a guy who killed 17 people, maybe more, who dismembered people, who was a cannibal, could be forgiven? Can you believe that? Does that make any sense? It does. And the problem we have today is we make too little of Jesus. We make too little of his sacrifice. How can the blood of one man, Jesus, how can his blood save the entire world? Save people like David. Save people like Jeffrey Dahmer. How can his blood save me? It's because that one man, Jesus, who was God incarnate, came down, suffered, was crucified, died, rose again, 
because one drop of his blood was worth more than all of humanity. And we forget that sometimes. This morning we sang, it's all about you, Jesus. Guess what? It is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about uh, the government or who's president. It's about Jesus. Today we like to look at things as left and right. Tell me there is no left and right. There's up and there's down. Either you follow Jesus or you follow the world. Let's move on. Let's look at Psalm 51. There's four ways that David responded to his sin. There's four ways that we can respond to our sin. He's helpless. He turns to his only hope. That's the mercy and the love of Christ, of God. Verse 1. Here he says it right at the beginning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Have mercy on me. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. He deserved punishment. He's not getting it. And that's his only hope today in 2019 in Goshen, Indiana, in these pews on this altar or stage. There's only one hope for each person here. That's God's mercy. So, if you are in this situation, have you cried out for God's mercy? Number two, God had promised back in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, the Lord, the Lord, the God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and sin, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. David understood that. David understood that our only hope is to have faith in God and his kindness and his loving mercy. David's helpless. He's counting on the Lord's mercy and love. There is nothing else. We know more on this side than David did. But the fact remains, our only hope is God's mercy. My only hope is God's mercy. There's nothing I can do to deserve salvation. There's nothing I can do to deserve God's kindness. There's nothing I can do to have a clean heart created in me. It's only based on God's mercy. Number two, David asked for cleansing, verses two and seven. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And Isaiah 1, 17, I think, says, though your sins were scarlet, I will make them whiter than snow. Friends, today, if you're carrying a sin, an old sin, a new sin is so simple. Come to Jesus. 
fall on his mercy, ask him to wash you, and you can be cleaner and whiter than snow. You can be made into a new creation, a new creature. There's nothing you can do to do that. I've tried many times in my sin. I've tried not to do this, but I just can't do it. God, I need you to wash me. I need you to create something new in me. Number three, David confesses that he is, he's an open book. He accepts responsibility. Verse three, my sin is ever before me. I can't make it stop. It's there. And Psalm 38 is also a part of this. David said things like, my guilt overwhelms me. My wounds fester. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. Have you ever felt that way about your sin? You're utterly crushed with something that you did to someone. Your wounds fester. It won't go away. Then also David said his sin is against God. In verse 4. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What does he mean? It's against you only that I've sinned. Didn't he sin about Uriah? What about Uriah's parents, his dad? What about Bathsheba's mom? What about the baby that's died? Yet David says, against you only have I sinned. That's the point of the psalm. Without God's word, there is no sin. Because God has set the moral path for us. God has set the code for us. God is the one who's perfect. And God has set that. Verse 6, David goes on and says, You teach me wisdom. David had no excuse. He knew better, and yet he still did this. He still did the sin. And sometimes we do too. And David goes on to say that God is just in his judgment. David pleads for renewal in verses 8 through 12. Let's read that. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 10, where it says, create. The word there is only used when it refers to God. It's used several times in Genesis 1. How did God create the heavens and the earth out of nothing? Ex nihilo. How can God create a new heart in us? Our heart is wicked. Our heart is impure. But God can create a new heart in us. There's one last thing I want to bring up. And that is the beginning. The very first verse I said. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, in the time of kings to go out to battle, David sent Joab. Friends, God has a purpose for you. God has a destiny for you. He has an assignment for you to fulfill. He had an assignment for David to fulfill. The time when the kings were to go out, David should have been out, but he stayed back at home. 
and he got in trouble. But you know what? He was forgiven. So today, there's anything in your life that's holding you back, any sin, you can be forgiven. You can have a new heart. You can be cleansed. And we're going to pray for us right now. Father God, we just all pray that you'd create a clean heart in us, that you'd make us pure, that we would be your children, Lord. Lord, don't let some forgotten sin uh, hold us back. But Lord, let us remember that we're children of God. We're your children. And Father God, we just ask in Jesus' name that your mercy would shine upon all of us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.